Morning. How's your weekend going? You can take a minute, talk about that. Hey, listen, um, I really do care about that. My name's Jason, uh, lead pastor here at Portico Church Arlington. Welcome. We're going to open up the book of Revelation today. We'll be in chapter 7, verses 1 through 14. We've been walking through this together. If you're joining us online, we're so glad you're here. Grab your Bible and let's go. So I had a friend of mine call me I hadn't seen in a while. And this person fancies themselves kind of a, I don't know, they like to trade stocks. They like the investment industry, although that's not their job. So they're a bit of a novice, but I got a phone call saying, hey, Connor, something big's going to happen. Something big's coming. I'm like, well, what is it? And you give me some big stock tips. He's like, no, no, just, I don't know. I just feel it. Like the numbers don't look right. Something big's going to happen. I'm like, something big's always going to happen. He said, you should have come to church last Sunday. Well, he doesn't live here. So you can listen to it online. We, we were talking about how God is simultaneously judging evil and bringing his saints home through that and authenticating their faith and building them up. We talked about these cycles of judgment that continue to, to be ex, you know, experienced. But there's just no political instability, right? We saw that this week. I mean, Israel's at war. Um, Middle East is just being overturned. Uh, we, we see this in just social instability, continued bloodshed. We see this in economic instability and just death. I said, so what you need to do, because the great margin call is coming, you need to short sell everything in this world and put everything on eternity. He said, come on, man. You really are a pastor now, aren't you? Because he knew me years before I did this. He said, yeah, I get you. But listen, here's what I, here's what I hate about all this. And I believe that that's true. I'm trying to raise kids to have a future in this world. What am I supposed to tell them? You know, I might be able to handle this, but I just get sad that their future looks rough sometimes. And I felt that, you know. And so it reminded me of this verse that we ended with last week. It says this, and I think we're all here. For the great day of their wrath has come. Who can stand? Who can stand it? Who can withstand? Who can continue to walk through life in the hope that God is both with us and for us and is going to bring us home, knowing that what we experience day after day, week after week, year after year, is everything that we learned last week. It's chaos. So that is a valid question. Like Pastor Reeves said, God's word is very honest. And when you listen to it, Many times it speaks for you, especially when you read the Psalms. Right? God's word is speaking to us, but many times it speaks for us, and that speaks for us. Who can stand this? And not only that, what does it look like to stand, and what does it look like to endure this? Well, chapter 7 answers that in very specific detail, and so I'm very thankful for that. We're going to go there. So wherever you are, maybe you know, you're just, everything's fine with you, okay. But if you're older than 25 or even older than 15, you have felt loss. And I, I, I'm just going to take a spec, wild speculation and say a lot of that was during the last year or so. So this text is going to shepherd us through this idea of what it looks like to stand through these seasons of chaos that we experience. All right? 
So let's jump into the text, but first uh, I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll be right back in to chapter 7. So would you pray with me? Dear Holy Father, we thank you, we come to you, we praise you that your word is not just honest, it's clear, it's powerful, it's living, it's active, it reads us better than we read it, and our prayer this morning is by your mercy and your grace, you will show us, God, yourself in this word, you will show us your glory, and you will transform us, make us your worshipers, bring us from death to life, we pray this in the name of Jesus, amen. Okay, here we go. Chapter 7, verse 1. And after this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth, that no wind might blow on the earth or sea or against any tree. Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God, and he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the earth and sea, saying, do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the servants of our God on their foreheads. And I heard the number of the seal, 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the sons of Israel, 12,000 from the tribe of Judah were sealed, 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 from the tribe of Gad, 12,000 from the tribe of Asher, 12,000 from the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000 from the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000 from the tribe of Simeon, 12,000 from the tribe of Levi, 12,000 from the tribe of Issachar, 12,000 from the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000 from the tribe of Joseph, 12,000 from the tribe of Benjamin were sealed. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing, keyword, before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these, clothed in white robes? And from where have they come? And I said to him, sir, you know, and he said, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. All right. I feel like we just need to get ready to go. <laughs> There's a lot here, guys. Um, as always, it's a lot less complicated than what we've experienced it probably uh, God has a very clean and clear story here, but it's going to take a little bit of work to get there. So understand the context. The context is this. Who can withstand what we've just heard last week in chapter 6? These seals, these riders that are, that are causing political instability, they're causing bloodshed, that are causing plague. Who can stand during this? It feels like judgment, but also God is using it to bring his people home. So what chapter 7 does 
is it explains that in great detail. But here's what you must understand. When it says right here, verse one, after this, I saw four angels. Here's what's not happening. This is not sequential. This is not, and after these four seals were opened and Jesus reveals the scroll, this is, then this happened. No, this is going back and actually giving a very clear look, a magnified look at what it looks like to live through a time such as this. So this is not sequential. This is apocalyptic literature. It's almost like Genesis, the first three chapters. We see God create, but then chapter two goes back and focuses really on the sixth day, making man and, and woman. So this is the same idea here. It's disorienting to us, but this is how this literature works. So it's not what happens next, it's what's really going on as God is judging and bringing his people home. So understand that, it's a deeper look at that. So what are these angels? Well, first of all, understand, we know the number four is universal. If we see the number four, it's almost always telling us that this is happening and being experienced universally in the entire world. Maybe not all at the same time, but this is endemic in humanity. This is happening. So we see four angels at the four corners of the earth. This is happening every, holding back the four winds. That is almost for sure the four riders, the four horsemen from last week. It's just another way to say it, another way to look at it. Because these winds, when unleashed, are going to cause damage on the trees, on the sea, on the earth, right? Uh, they're going to unleash judgment, essentially. And then we see this other angel, but we'll get to that in just a minute, who actually intercedes there. So this is a universal experience of these four horsemen bringing judgment. So what you might want to say is, That's, that seems like a stretch to me. Where are you getting that? So remember, John is writing what he sees based on the language he has from Scripture. So he goes back to Daniel a lot. He goes back to Ezekiel. He goes back to prophetic language. And right here in Zechariah chapter 6, uh, verse 5, we see these ideas of the four horsemen are four winds of heaven and presenting themselves before the Lord of all the earth. So there's this idea that there's, there's winds that are accompanying these horsemen. He picks up on that and gives us a, honestly, a more forceful view of what it looks like to experience that. So, Where's the hope in this? It's really another version of what we listened to last week. Who can stand here? Well, here's grace. We're getting there. Because then we get this list of 144,000. So this is happening. God is judging the earth. He's bringing home his people and we see this, this list, this 144,000, the sons of Israel. I want you to notice something very closely. John hears the number that's being sealed, and then he stops, and he turns, and he looks, and he sees something else. That happens a lot in Revelation, and it's very important. If you remember in chapter 5, John hears the line of Judah, and he spins and he sees the lamb that was slain. So to get the full picture of what's going on, 
we're gonna both have to understand what this list is and then what he sees in the great multitude. So, 144,000, let's, what are the options here? here? There's two big questions that really loom on this text. First of all, is that number literal? Is that meant to be 144,000 sealed saints, sealed servants of God, period? Is that it? Is that meant to be literal? And then B, who is it? Is it ethnic Israel? Does it represent something more than that? So here are options. One, is it is literal? And some people believe this. It represents ethnic Israel. Uh, there'll be a whole multitude of Israel that comes to faith um, sometime during the last days. I don't think that's a great way to understand that, especially the way that he organizes it. Um, I just don't. And I don't think it's literal either. I think it's very much figurative. Now remember, in apocalyptic literature, all the numbers, almost all the numbers we've looked at have been figurative. So to make the transition here and shift it back and say, no, this is literal, um, is a big ask here. So I think it's pretty clear it's a literal, it's a figurative number. It's not exactly 144,000. And it's not just Israel. Here's what it means. Friends, this is the fullness of God's people. This is it. God's promise is to bring every one of his people home. And he represents that in this list with the fullness of Israel. Every tribe. So this is the fullness of God's people. How do you come up with 144,000? Well, there's a couple ways we could do it. I think the easiest way is 12 tribes times 12 apostles. Remember the 24 elders? And then you multiply that by 1,000. So you have the fullness of God's people in all of history, represented by the 12 tribes, the 12 apostles, times 1,000. What does 1,000 mean in Scripture? It just means a lot. It means God's grace on full display. So I believe the best understanding here is the fullness of God's people. Now, here's what really confirms that. So here's the number of God's people being sealed. And then he stops and he spins and he looks and he sees a great multitude. Verse 9, after this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from every tribe, people, and languages standing before or standing before the throne and before the lamb. So here's how that question's answered very literally. Who can withstand this? Who can stand? Well, it's God's people. They're, they're going to stand through this. And we're to understand what he sees as the same thing that he heard. So he hears all of Israel, like 144,000 of these tribes being sealed, and then he looks and he sees a multitude that is uncountable. And it's not just ethnic Israel. It's people from every tribe, tongue, nation, period. So that's further evidence. This represents the fullness of God's people. So when I hear the fullness of God's people or when I hear something that's uncountable, it should, make, it should remind us of God's promise to Abraham right here in chapter 15 of Genesis. It says, and this is essentially 
God makes this promise to Abraham that he would have a child, and Abraham has to remind him, well, that's great, but it's been a long time, and I don't think it's going to happen. So God takes him out and says, hey, look toward the heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. So shall your offspring be. So who can stand? Who's going to be able to withstand this? It's God's people. It's the fullness of God's people. You need to see that. You need to feel that. You need to feel a way to that. Because everything else we experience eclipses that on a regular basis. Well, how do they stand? If, God's pe- if God brings his people through this, how does he do it, honestly? Well, we get some insight into that. In verse 2, chapter 7, it says, Then I saw another angel ascending from the rising of the sun with the seal of the living God. And he called with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the earth and sea, saying, do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees. That's basically everything. Until we had sealed the servants of God. So although this looks like sequence, the idea here is that God is sealing his people. Right? He's putting his mark on his people. That doesn't mean that they're not going to experience pain and loss. That means they are not going to experience the pain of judgment. So we see that there's this idea that his servants are sealed by God. So what does this mean? What does it mean to be someone who's walking in faith to belong to God and to be sealed? We need to understand that. Because it's good we know the fullness of God's people um, come through all of eternity and are with him. But what does that mean to be sealed? Well, I think there's three things that we can see from Scripture that that means. And the first is the most obvious. To be sealed by God is, is really, it's about belonging. So if you're sealed, you belong to God. This is a seal of belonging. You're called his servant. And the seal is put on your forehead. That's all about belonging. Belonging to God. Again, I'm going to take you quickly back to Ezekiel chapter 5 verse 9, because it gives us insight into this. Actually, Ezekiel 9, 4, sorry. And it talks about those who would escape judgment. Put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan over the abominations that are committed in it. In other words, put, seal those on their forehead, those that love God and love his word. And this is, this is where John is, this is making sense to him. So this is a mark of belonging. Even in chapter 5, 9, it talks about the lamb ransoming people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, purchasing them from death, right, paying the price of bondage that they might belong to him eternally. So this is definitely a mark or a seal of belonging. Secondly, it's protection. Being sealed by God isn't just belonging to him, it's protection. He gives you the ability to endure. Friends, your faith is never alive in times of comfort. Right? We can have faith. 
But faith doesn't grow there. It grows in the hard soil of conflict and frustration and loss. That's when you will know what you believe. Because when you lose greatly, when you have big decisions to make, um, you will decide what matters most to you and what doesn't. So this is a seal of protection, meaning this. Again, you will experience loss. So there's going to be harm along the way. But what you are protected from is abject unbelief. God protects you. He seals you. The way that you endure is through faith. It doesn't happen above your head. It happens in your life. Protected from unbelief. And the third thing that we see from this seal is power. So you're not just static. This isn't just happening to you. God gives you the power to endure and to finish. I love this question that one of these elders around the throne room asked John. First of all, I, just, I would be exactly like John. I'm like, hey, don't ask me a question you already know. I'll probably get it wrong. Who are these? Now, the reason he asked this, I'm convinced, is so that John understands who he is. Hey, John, who, who are these around the throne? And so he answers his own question, sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So right there, we understand these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. You're going to experience it. We are experiencing it. And tribulation is just another word. Just think pressure, intense compression, where the pressure of life at times is unbearable. The loss that you will endure goes beyond what you feel like you can stand. These are the ones that are coming through and out of that. They're not spared it. Jesus himself said in John 16, in this world you have tribulation, same world, same word, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So this seal, it's about belonging, it's about protection, and it's about power. And these are the ones who have dipped their robes in the blood of the Lamb. That's not obviously not literal, but that is, friends, that is active faith. That is you deciding that you are going to trust God in the midst of loss. That is you deciding you're going to hold on to conviction even though your experience is not what you want it to be. That means you're going to hold on to the living God, knowing that in doing so, will actually probably create more loss in your life. Because you value him above everything. Friends, understand this. This only works if you understand that Jesus stands for you. He actually absorbs evil. He actually absorbs our real sin. He's the one who bears loss for us. He's the one that gives us the confidence that we can endure. He's the one that reconciles our relationship with God in real time. If that's abstract to you, you will spend the rest of your life trying to find a way to live that brings significance and security on your own terms. If that's where you are, 
I encourage you to short sell that. It's not going to last. Bet everything on eternity, Jesus stood for you. See, listen, here's what we learn from this text. And there's some complex things in there. I understand it. Here's what it tells us God seals his servants so that they can withstand anything. That's it. Well, what about me? You don't know my life. I don't know your life. I don't know what you're going through. But here's what I can tell you. God seals his servants that you can withstand intense pressure. You can, you can do this. You can endure seasons of loss that are well beyond your ability to handle. He has sealed you. You belong to him. He will protect you. He will get you there. He will get you to the finish line. And he will give you the power to do it. I don't see it. You got to trust him. You got to act. So how do we respond to that? Because honestly, this reality is so eclipsed in our lives. What's more real to me is the things I don't like, the things that I've lost, how life is very different than I want it to be. So how do you stand in the midst of intense pressure? I'm just going to give you a couple ways to think through knowing that God seals you, his servant, to endure or to withstand intense pressure. One is this, man, you got to fight for your faith. It's great that you believe in God. It's great that you read the Bible and come to church if you do that. That's wonderful. But you have got to get some skin in the game. You've got to fight for this. Well, I thought you just told me that God sealed me. I have to worry about it. No, I told you that God sealed you because this is what the text says. But you have got to invest everything in that. You've got to fight for what matters in life. You've got to fight to see yourself alive in Jesus. This is what matters. Because it's not that just Jesus stands for you. He stands with you. The Spirit of God is poured out. Ephesians 1.13 says that. That the Holy Spirit actually seals you, same word, He's the presence and the power of the Lord in your life, convincing you that you have this inheritance eternally, convincing you and empowering you to walk another day in faith. That's the real power and presence of the Lord. Do not disregard that. Push into that. Fight to experience God through his word by his spirit. Secondly, is you got to fight for family. You know what the people have in common around this throne from every tribe, tongue, and nation, many of them hate each other. They had experiences in, in the first century Palestine area, and we see this today, and it's all over the world, as if we're any better. There's, there's divisions along ethnic lines, and God pulled those people together and brought them salvation, and now they're in, not just in the same room together, but they love God together. So you cannot do this on your own. You have got to fight for family. You have got to actually re-understand what kindness and forgiveness means. You've got to learn to fight for one another because you don't understand why people think the way they think. Do you have people at your table that vote differently than you do, that look differently than you do, that are more than five years difference in age than you are? Do you know how to fight for them? Do you know how to make sure that they're gonna finish? People, right, even, maybe even this church. So you've got to fight for faith, you've got to fight for one another. 
God desires that. And the last practical thing I would just give you is baptism. It's the tangible experience of the seal. So seal, and we'll find this in Revelation in chapter 14, the seal that God puts on his people is the name, the name of the Father and the name of the Son. So it's, again, it's possession, it's protection, it's power. And Jesus reveals the full name of God in the New Testament in Matthew. Baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Friends, you're meant to experience that. You're meant to, like, we have communion, right? We have baptism. These are tangible things that we physically experience. So if that's something you're exploring or don't want to try out, or, like, you want to learn about that, um, we have a class next Sunday. You can sign up for it. We're going to baptize people in June. You can be a part of that. God desires those um, that know him to experience the seal, to experience the power of baptism. Um, yeah, it kind of, honestly, it brings faith out of the abstract. And it's less about what we're doing and what we're making a promise to do, and it's everything about what God has done to save you. Can you stand? Are you going to make it? You know, I told my friend, where, where, where do you see the future of your kids? What are you prepping them for? Yeah, you're right. Time's a lot. It's bad many times. But it gives you an opportunity as a parent, I know this, to prepare your kids to invest their lives in what lasts. To actually put your life on the living God. God is sealing his servants to his stand to get them home. Let's do this together. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you that you seal your servants, Lord. You pull us from life to death, even against our permission, Lord. You pull us out of death. We thank you. And we pray that that would become more real to us, that the fullness of your people will be brought home, and that you seal us, Lord, with your protection. You seal us with belonging to you, and even with power, Lord, to walk this out together. Help us as your people to fight for this. And we lift this up in the name of Jesus. Amen.